0: Good morning, everybody. How's it going? So, I'm really used to having a guitar in my hands while I talk to y'all. So, if I look awkward and I don't know what to do with my hands, I might just go grab it. And, you know, just for the sake of it being more comfortable. Just kidding. I won't actually. I don't think anybody's there. But I thought long and hard how do I want to open my message today. And this is what I decided to do. And that is to show you, since it's Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day, by the way, a picture of my little boys. So, there's a picture Most of you guys know my little boys, but some of you may not, so I figured I'd show them to you. Josiah is the oldest and he's four, and Stevie is our little one. He's almost two, he'll be two next month. So, the reason why I showed you this picture is because I heard someone else say that if you show someone a picture of your children before you speak, they're more likely to listen. (laughs) So, um, I thought that might be kind of funny, but, anyways. I want to give a disclaimer before I get started. As you can see, my kids are really small, and I'm pretty new in the game to the whole mom thing, so I'm not coming to you today to be like, okay, guys, I have it all figured out, and here's what it is. <laughs> so by no means am, am I um, in that place of life, but I'm coming to you today to celebrate moms, also to bring a word that I think will speak to everyone in the room, even the men, um, But a lot of what I'm speaking from today is not just from my experience, but from watching my friends, or even from watching my own mom, my mother-in-law, my grandparents, um, and just seeing how they do things. So the title of my message today is Take Care of My Baby. And because it's Mother's Day, we're going to talk about moms for a little bit, but guys, don't disengage. Um, Young people, maybe you're a teenager and you're like, oh man, it's Mother's Day, so... I just get to listen to something about moms, and I'm so not there right now. Just hang in, hang tight with me. I promise you it'll make sense in a little bit. So I figured a great way to start this off um, with our first point is to talk about moms for a little bit because moms are pretty great, right? So let's see if you can relate with some of these things. The first thing is moms already love their children long before they are born. It's so true. Even before the first sonogram, before they ever see their baby, when they find out that they're going to have a baby, immediate love. It's amazing. Um, a lot of them pray to have children before they even get pregnant. It's, it's just awesome. It's evident. You see it. If you're not a mom, you can tell how much a mom loves their kid by how they plan. They f- pick the nursery. They wash everything 15 times before the baby's born. they got to make sure everything's perfect and lined up and prepared for this child, right? So, um, have you ever seen a mom take this to the extreme, maybe? Anybody? I have. I knew this girl. She was not a mom yet. We were in like 10th grade, and she sat down with me one day, and she's like, okay, so I'm gonna have five kids, and three boys, two girls. They're gonna be two and a half ages, or two and a half years apart each, and this is gonna be their names, and this is gonna be their personalities, and I was like, eh, I don't, yeah, okay, all right, cool, that's awesome. I don't think that worked out how she wanted it to, but it was really cool. Um, I was actually thinking about her and I was gonna share that with you guys today, and she added me on Facebook, so I was like, what? And then I was like, oh, I gotta see, does she have kids? And she does, she has one little boy. So I was like, awesome. Now, it may have t- not have turned out how she thought it was going to in 10th grade, but I guarantee you one thing that girl loves her baby because she wanted to be a mom so bad. She planned. She prepared way back before she was ever actually a mother. Point number two, being a mom requires a lot of dirty work. Does anybody feel me in this room today? (laughs) Um, I have a horrific story. Um, Right after I had Steven, um, my oldest boy wanted some attention. Matt was out of town. I was still postpartum from a C-section, so um, wasn't really able to move around a whole bunch. And Josiah thought it would be a great idea to take his diaper off and put his hands in it and climb behind the couch. And I will spare the rest of the details because it was awful. So I'm sure all of the moms in the room are like, oh yeah, my kid can top that when we tell you. So uh, we've all been there. But you know what? I love Josiah. I love him so much. And that day that he really got on my nerves, it doesn't change how much I still love him. Unconditionally. It all conf- It all. Fails in comparison of the joy of being a mom. So, point number three: moms are gentle, careful, and strategic. They take great care to nurture. They plan. They measure out all the little formula bottles. They plan how they're going to feed their kids. They trim the little nails. They pick their outfits and they make sure they match. They're just really careful. Now, dads are good at nurturing too. But dads may take your kid out in pajamas to public places. It just happens sometimes. At least my husband has done that. But um, moms are usually really careful about the details and gentle in those things. But especially when it comes to taking care and nurturing. And the reason why is because moms expect to see their children grow. They want to see it on the growth charts. They want to see it in school. They work hard to teach them their letters and all the sounds and stuff because they want, they want to see them read. They want to see progress. Moms care about those things. They want to see us grow up and succeed. Number four, moms are proud. They immediately notice everything that is good and right about you. And I have a great picture to illustrate this. Um, you guys seem to like memes on our social media, so <laughs> I found this one. And it says, When you let mom cut your hair, and she tells you what a handsome young man you are. <laughs> and when I first found that, um, I saw it a few months ago, and I literally had just cut Josiah's hair that week. And I was like, Oh no. I'm that mom. (laughs) I'm that mom that cut my kid's hair and told him he was handsome. I totally did it. I'm guilty. But it's so true. Moms do that. But they, they just, they love us. They see everything that's good. But it's so good for us. Because I know when I was growing up, I can't count the times that my parents and my grandparents were like, Oh, Christy, we're so proud of you. You're so smart. Oh, look at that. That's so beautiful. You're going to do so good with whatever you do with your life. And I believed it. And I may have not been the smartest kid in my class, but I believed I was smart at least. And I did make good grades. But I really believed that a lot of how I did as well as I did was because they spoke life into me, and they saw the good things in me, and they called it out. And thanks all you moms for doing that this morning. The next point, moms don't just let anyone keep or hold their baby. They don't. Everybody can agree with that, and it starts in the hospital. That baby's born, and all of a sudden you think, oh, the cousins are going to hold the baby. Nope, nope. I changed my mind. Have you germ your hands five times yet? Uh, I don't think I want you to hold my baby. There's just this protection aspect. Um, they have gotta take care and make sure their babies are okay, and it's a gut feeling, and it lasts for years and years and years as they grow. Even some well-meaning people Um, if they're not trustworthy or they're not quite responsible enough, you don't want to leave your baby with them. It's just a mom thing. The sixth point about moms is that moms come in many varieties. Some moms are here today, and you have one baby. Some have a whole football team of kids. You have lots. Some homeschool. Some are the best PTA moms you'll ever meet. Some work full-time. Some work multiple jobs, and they're a single mom. They have to work really hard. Some have husbands that travel, or maybe they travel too. They're gone on the road a lot. It's hard. Some are special needs moms, and they have learned to thrive with no sleep or very little. Some are fitness and nutrition gurus. They can tell you all the best nutritional needs for their kids, and they never, ever, ever give them cookies ever. They're so good. All are different, all are wonderful, and all are needed in the world. But no woman can fulfill all of these roles. It's literally impossible to be a full-time mother and be a stay-at-home mother. You can't do both. So you pick your strength, and you go with it. You do whatever God has given to you specifically for your child. So there's a commercial that I wanted to share with you guys that illustrates this, and it's so perfect, but the beginning of it is not quite Appropriate. It's got a little bit of crude humor, so I'm not going to show you the beginning of the video, but I will tell you the story, and that's that there was a group, or several groups of parents that meet up at a park, and they're all in their different cliques. You've got the working mom's clique, you've got the I wear my baby mom's clique, you've got the stay-at-home dad's clique, and several others, and they all start bickering at each other, and calling each other out, and yelling, and they get to this point where they are just ready to throw down and fight. So I'm going to let the video show you the rest. You can go ahead and cue it. I just love that commercial, and the first time I saw it, I, I was like, oh, this would be good for a sermon. I never knew I'd actually use it one day. But um, the point being in that video is that we're not enemies. We're different, but we're not enemies. We need each other, and our children grow better when they're surrounded by a variety of people with strengths that complement each other as a whole. We lose something special when we shy away from other people, and we usually do that either because we think we're better. Or we think we're inferior to them. And both are wrong. Both are untruthful. And it's not the heart of God for us to separate and divide up into little cliques. We need each other. Um, I want to look at Genesis 1, 27. And it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's so cool. What I'm not saying here is that God is a female, because that thought has been thrown out there. That's kind of weird. That's not true. But what I'm saying is that women, females, are also made in the image of God. We usually think of dads and how they reflect the character of God, because God is known as God the Father. And fathers do reflect God's character. But the woman was also made in God's image at the same time. And that's why it's so special that God's word says, the two become one when a a man and a woman get married because they complement each other and they have traits that are different, but together they make a whole that is more like their creator than if they were alone. So it's very awesome to celebrate the fact that all these traits that we just talked about, they're things that God, he he possesses those traits as well. So with that in mind, let's go back to these, and we're going to look at them again, but this time we're going to look at them as if it was God and not mothers. The first one, God already loves his children before they are born. Literally, he loves us before we're born. Um, You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born, and every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before me, before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be unnumbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Psalm 139, 15 through 18. That's one of my favorite scriptures. Jeremiah 1, 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Yet, there's a cool aspect to this. Not only does he literally love us before we're born, but he loves all who are lost before they are born again. Now, what does born again mean, you may ask. That's kind of like, what do you mean born again? I was born um, a long time ago. I'm an adult now. How can I do that? Um, Nicodemus wondered the same thing. Jesus brought it up in John 3, and he goes on to tell us, In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's a spiritual rebirth. It's in giving our hearts and our lives to God that we are born again into the spiritual realm. So that being said, what could a baby Christian look like? I've got a few examples. The first one is one we normally think of when we think of baby Christians as kids. You know, a lot of kids— give their lives to Jesus when they're really small, and that's totally normal. That can definitely be a baby Christian, but what about this next one? You can't see his face, but he looks super rough. Um, He looks like he's got a lot of history, tattoos. He could be a baby Christian, right? Okay, what about the next one? What about this man right here? He's lived a long and full life, but he could have just committed his life to God. What about this next one? This is a mother who's old enough to have a baby of her own, yet she can still be a baby in God if she's never committed her life to him. Point number two, taking care of God's children requires a lot of dirty work. We want to have a church that's full of spiritual babies. It's wonderful, but it's also really messy because people come in with their baggage and they don't know how to behave, at least how we want them to behave. Some of it is that they, they need to learn God's truth and, and what his word says, and they don't know how to follow it, and we have to help them learn it. But partially, part of it's our tradition and, and how we were raised and um, how we feel like we need to dress or, or act or carry ourselves. And some of those things aren't biblical. They're just our tradition. So it's important that we know the difference because when we don't, um, we forget that we're still learning too. We're still growing too. We're still God's children, too, and we're all in this together. We have to help each other to grow in our walks with God. And when we don't, we kind of become like that big brother, which I see this a lot in Josiah, the big brother that bosses the little brother around, but they're both actually disobeying the rules at the same time. We don't want to be like that. We don't want to be like that to people. It turns people away from God, and that's not his heart. We're in this together. Number three, God is gentle, careful, careful and strategic. He shows us his grace gently. The Holy Spirit tugs on our hearts, and it he shows us where we need to change and where we need to grow. We who have experienced God know this, but God doesn't want us to stay babies. He wants us to grow. So as we grow, we have to learn. We have to, it gets a little harder. The truth needs to be spoken as we continue to grow. There's two more scriptures. The first one is Peter Two, one through three. So, get rid of all evil, evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk, so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. The second one is Hebrews five twelve through fourteen, and it says you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead you need to teach you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what's right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So if you've been following Jesus for a while, he doesn't want you to be a baby anymore. Number 4. God is proud. He doesn't see you for all your mess. He looks at you, and he sees everything that's right and perfect about you. He's more proud of you than your mom is proud of you, and that's a lot. More proud of you than the picture that we showed earlier with that goofy meme. But he does. He loves you so much. Handsome man times a million is how much he loves you. We read this earlier in Psalm 139. How precious are your thoughts about me, God? If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. He wants us to succeed, and he's here to help us. See, he loves us, and he thinks we're wonderful, and he sees our sin. He does. But he knows that we can't overcome it by ourselves, and that's why he sent Jesus. He did it for us so that we could be like him, so that we could be his children. Number five. God doesn't let just anyone keep or even hold his babies. And this is actually where we've had an interaction with a student. It was just one girl, and she came over to our house to eat. And on the outside, you could tell that she, had, she was living a lifestyle that was not according to God's word. But we had been so kind, so gentle with her, so patient. And we were so proud of of her progress, but um, she had not really been completely honest with us about her life and what she was struggling with. And um, we knew she was going to open up to us, or we had a feeling she was, um, because she actually requested to sit with us and and talk to us. So as we sit down and we're sharing this meal with her, I feel the Holy Spirit speak to me like I've never before. It was like he said, don't you hurt my baby. That is my baby. I'm so proud of her. and She's been so hurt already. She does not need somebody else to tell her what she's done wrong. And sure enough, like, she opened up to us. Her parents had told her everything she had done wrong. Her old church had told her everything she had done wrong. Nobody acknowledged how far she had come in trying to pursue God, really almost by herself. Um, she was bringing herself to church And we were so proud of her. And in that moment, we got to tell her about the truth of God. And she wanted to know the truth of what God's word said. And we told her. But we prayed for her. And we encouraged her and walked through. And it was amazing. It was one of my absolute favorite um, encounters with a young person. And I really think God just showed me, are you trustworthy enough? Can I trust you with my babies? Because they're delicate. You can say one thing that comes across as hateful. And they're gone. Now, it's not our fault if that happens, but we have to try our best to be delicate with them. Number six, we'll come back to that in a little bit. God's church comes in many varieties big churches, small churches, Baptist churches, Methodist churches, smoke and lights churches, hymnal churches. They're all really, really different, but all are wonderful. All are needed in the world, and one church can't fulfill all these roles. There's a variety of people in the world, and they all need different things. To be united, it doesn't mean that we look the same. There's a beauty in our differences working together to make a whole, and people can grow within that, not just within our church. It's important that people, us within the church, that we work together to to reach the lost. But we're not enemies as... Separate churches in our community. We work together. When we see um, First Baptist, let's say, let's say that they grow, that is an awesome win for the Kingdom of God and something that's worth celebrating. So it's worth it for us to work together as churches to win the loss. It's His heart. There's two scriptures that reflect this. Ephesians three ten says God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display His wisdom in rich variety. To all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There's a difference between division, which is fighting, and variety, which is great. It's a good thing. John 17, 23-23 20 says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I'm in you. And may, there, may they be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me, so that they will be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. We can't experience perfect unity if we're enemies. God wants us to work together. God's children grow to be, grow better when they're surrounded by unity and rich diversity and strengths that complement each other as a whole. We lose something special when we shy away from other people within the church and other churches because we either think that we're better than them or inferior to them. We're getting ready to close, and Sean, if you would come and play the guitar this morning. There's one more point that I wanted to list about moms, and I almost left it out because it's, it's really heavy. And um, I want to make sure that I handle it very delicately. But it's very necessary to communicate just how much God has entrusted us with his babies. And it's loss. I'm 28. And I know way too many moms that are my age, even some older than me, that have walked through loss. And I, I don't even think I can keep count of how many, honestly. The hardest one was um, one of my friends from school. She's one of my best friends from school. And she lost her um, her two-year-old. And I went to be there with her. And I couldn't say anything. I didn't have words because there are no words. And she was full of this just a numbness. And almost like she wasn't there it's such a, a, a horrible tragedy. It should not be. It should not be. But it happens way too much. It's unfair, and we don't understand why. But we know that Jesus gives us hope. Revelations 4, or 21-4, says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. In 1 Corinthians 15 55 through 57 says, Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting, uh, the sting of sin is death, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This hope is it, it's our hope, it's what we hold on to, it's the anchor of our souls. But I think there's a danger of something that can happen here when we see other people experience loss, or maybe you've walked through this road yourself. It's fear. And it will grip you, and it will rob you of moments that God has given you. I know it's something that I've struggled with. And just from seeing my friends walk through it, it terrifies me. And I've caught myself sometimes, like, being robbed of a moment that I have with my kids because I'm so worried about them. It's ridiculous. And it's not the heart of God because 2 Timothy 1.7, and this is a scripture that my mom used to tell me all the time, for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind. God wants us to enjoy the life that he's given us. But he also gives us a greater mission that we can get distracted by. And that's his mission. Because just as many mothers walk through loss, God experiences loss every time someone dies without knowing him. And it's much greater. It happens all too much. Too many of God's children never make it past adolescence, and maybe it's because they're surrounded by people just like that commercial that are so distracted with each other that they forget, oh, there's somebody in danger, and they're just rolling away, and we don't even care. They're gone forever. Could you imagine if a newborn was brought home from the hospital And they couldn't use the bathroom. They had to wear a diaper. And the parent was like, nope, that's it. You're out. Gone. But that's what we do to so many baby Christians because they don't know they're learning. It's a process. It's not always an overnight transformation for people. But we judge them because they, they haven't been in the game as long as us. And we kick them out. And it's the very thing that they need to be in. They need to be here. We need to see people who are broken in our seats. We need to have people next to us who may smell bad and they may look awful because they've lived a horrible road because those are God's babies and he loves them. They're in infant stage and they need us so desperately. This life is a vapor, but eternity is not. And that's why it's so urgent. Without Jesus, there's hell, darkness, pain and separation from God for eternity. We have a hope when we lose someone we love that we'll see them again, but that hope is the hope we have in Christ. If they don't know Christ, they don't have that hope. And that's why it's so important. Now, um, what we were saying earlier, we can't be responsible and hold someone's hand to make sure that they're saved because people have to come to a point where they make their own choice. They know right from wrong. It's almost like they grow from an infant into a teenager. And have you ever seen a teenager rebel? Maybe you been a teenager that, that rebelled? Um, it's just, it's a walk. It's, it, they come to a crossroad in a choice, and they have to choose. And I, I was telling you guys earlier about a student that um, we were so excited. We cried, and we prayed with her. She cried, and she prayed with us. And I wish I could tell you that that student that I took so, such gentle care of, that she was following Jesus today, but she's not. And it breaks my heart, and I pray for her all the time. But this is what we can do when that happens. We know it's not our fault, but we never give up on them. Think about the prodigal son. What does a parent do when their child runs? They pray, they cry, they never give up on their child, and that's what we've got to do as a church for those who turn away from God. There's also a difference between someone who's a baby Christian versus a mature Christian who doesn't want to grow up. That's not good. That's like an adult man still wearing diapers and he refuses to walk. That's embarrassing and awful. And nobody wants to live like that. So we're not babying adults. We're discipling believers. We're helping people grow into mature Christians so that they can do the same and reach other people too. Moms, can we be one this morning? Our kids need us. And church, can we be one? Because God's children need us. Maybe you're here today and you've heard these things about God and how much he loves you, and you don't know him, I would like to just take a minute to pray for you with every head bowed and every eye closed. Just like the songs we sang this morning, the reckless love of God, he chases me down, fights on found, and he leaves the 99. That's actually in Scripture. It's in the Word of God that Jesus is compared to a shepherd who would leave 99 sheep that are found to go and chase after the one. That's how much he loves you. We, we listen to so will I. You left the grave behind you, so will I. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. So if you don't have that hope today and you want to pray that prayer, would you just raise your hand? Amen. If that's you, would you pray this with me? God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life for me. God, I give my life to you today, and I come to you in all my brokenness mend my heart, and make me new. God, I want to give my life to you and help me grow into the mature believer that you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, or maybe that's you and, and you were too shy to hold up your hand, you won't find rejection and condemnation here. There's an amazing group of people who love you and they want to see you grow. So if you prayed that prayer, I encourage you, reach out to somebody. Talk to them. Maybe you're a new Christian and you're kind of stuck and you don't know what you need to do next to grow. Come to a small group or ask somebody about a small group and what that is. It's a great way to grow. Ask somebody, find a friend that can help you learn how to read the Word of God and and connect with Him. Uh, The second part of our response time is for the church, it's for us, all who are in the room. Maybe you found yourself comparing yourself to other people within the church or bickering with other people in the church. Or maybe um, even just like comparing our church to other places. There's people that go from church to church to church to look. But we have to focus more on the kingdom of God and what he wants for us. So if you have a heart to reach people today, would you pray this to me? Jesus, we pray, God, over our church. Lord, I pray for your church, your body of Christ is so much greater than Than the assembly that's so much bigger than Columbus, Mississippi, but all of your church that's in the world right now, God, that you would give us a heart and a spirit of unity that works together, that we see each other not as enemies, but as people who complement each other, who are in the same mission and the same end game. And God, help us not be so distracted by things that don't matter that we miss the purpose, and the heart of why we are breathing, and that is to give people the chance to experience eternal life, to let, to see people come to know you, to be born again into new life with you, and to to never truly die because they get to live with you. God, we pray over your children who are lost. God, give us a heart and a compassion for those people. Lord, to reach out to them, to love them right where they are, in all of their mess, and all of their brokenness, God. We pray that we would love them and show them your genuine love and compassion and not our own personal judgment, but that we'd reach out to them and help them grow. The third group of people I'd like to pray for this morning is moms. Maybe you're here and something in the message has hit home to you. Maybe you've experienced pain or grief, or maybe you've found yourself in that comparison trap that so many of us moms get into that happens immediately after our children are born. If that's you and you'd like me to pray for you, would you also please raise your hand? God, I thank you for the moms in this room. I thank you for how beautiful and how unique each of them are. God, I pray that you would give them joy as they are moms to the children that you've given them. Lord, I pray if any of them are living in fear, that you would help them remember that that is not from you, that every day from you is a gift, and God, we will cherish those gifts that you've given us and we'll run after your heart with our lives, whether it be raising our children or being a part of your church or whatever it is, God. We thank you that we are your children, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you love us. God, I pray that the moms in this room would be able to look around them at the moms that are different than them and connect with them and, and get to know them and maybe learn a strength that someone else has that's totally different from them. God, that we would be closer to your heart and seeing that rich diversity is a beautiful part of your creation and how you've made us. God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are, that you've given us purpose. And I pray that for each person in this room, we would take this and that we would go after your heart, Lord, and pursue all that you want for us, Lord. We thank you that you love us and you love others and let us let that always be our greatest mission. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.